Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, you can also listen live across the Faith Radio Network Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central or 12 Eastern for the entire hour. And if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Hey friends, it's Jeremiah Johnston. Welcome to the program that takes your questions about faith and culture seriously. I want to encourage you right at the outset of today's broadcast. Uh, we're already in our 44th episode. It's hard to believe that we're almost at our one-year anniversary of the Jeremiah Johnston Show. But on this program, I take your questions via text, via email, the questions that we encounter from our Christian Thinker Society live events. And that really creates the thematic direction for this program, the content that we discuss, uh, the guests that we invite. Some guests are so popular, we have them back again and again. That is the case with today's program. Uh, more about that in a moment. But I want to encourage you first to subscribe to this broadcast. We thank God that we're airing across Faith Radio Network, 17 stations. We welcome all those of you joining us live, both in the Central and Eastern Time Zone. Uh, but we have thousands who are connecting with us as well on the podcasts. So whether you use Android or an Apple device, you can locate this program by just simply wherever, however you take your podcast, going to the Jeremiah Johnston Show podcast on Google Play. Uh, you can do it on the Android store. You can do it on the Apple podcast store. So hit that subscribe button. Uh, friends, we take a lot of time to really cull the best content that helps you answer the questions that you're facing. But as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I'm receiving emails from individuals who are using this broadcast in their churches, in men's groups, women's Bible studies. Uh, And it's one of those programs that I think you can binge. I actually was at a book signing recently, and a sweet person came up to me and just said, Jeremiah, I binge your show. Thank you so much for your program. Every single week is so packed full of content. I listen to it again and again and again. So right at the introduction, I want to let you know how you can engage with this broadcast. And don't forget, over on our Jeremiah Johnson Show Faith Radio website, we have blog summaries of each and every program. You can share those on social media, Facebook. You can actually share it on Twitter, Instagram, any of your uh, social media channels. Uh, And then very easily on the Jeremiah Johnson Show website, you can also archive it right there on the Faith Radio website. So I get so many questions. You know, how can I listen to more? I want want more of this content. That's how you can do it. Just simply go to our archive. Um, Now, friends, again, have you ever had somebody say something um, where you can really very clearly see their motive is to try to blow up your faith. I mean, let's just get real for a moment. There are a lot of interesting comments out there, and then there's a lot of crazy comments out there in the world where people try to say things that you can't trust the Bible, God doesn't exist, there never was Jesus, these armchair experts. Well, I want to do a program dedicated to myth busters today, okay? Uh, these individuals that have made these these uh, these assertions, not backed up by the evidence, but then all of a sudden, 
some discovery comes along, we know this through the science of studying the material culture, biblical archaeology, and we see that that myth is busted. And guess what? We actually can trust the Bible. We actually see it as reliable. Well, our program, talk about blowing up, was last week. Uh, I had such a significant response to the program we did with Craig Evans on biblical archaeology, how this sheds light on interpreting the Bible, how we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ through studying biblical archaeology. We decided to do a round two. So I have Craig Evans waiting right here in studio with me today. We have an entire program dedicated to some of those comments from the recent past where someone said, guess what? You shouldn't trust the Bible. Jesus doesn't exist. And we're going to go through those. We're going to blow those up. You're going to probably want to share this program in a Bible study class that you're in. Uh, And then we're going to keep staying right on this theme on why biblical archaeology is important. Stay with us. I'm going to be back in studio in 90 seconds with the John DeBassanio Distinguished Professor of Christian Origins, Professor Craig Evans, coming at you live today on the Jeremiah Johnson Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnson Show. I'm dedicating today's program to Mythbusters, uh, comments that we have heard from scholars from the past, uh, where later archaeology shows those comments for what they were, utterly false, unsubstantiated. Professor Evans, thanks so much for being back in the studio today on the Jeremiah Johnson Show. Hey, my pleasure. I want to start with a gentleman. Talk to us about Bruno Bauer and some of the assertions <laughs> he once made. Uh, was it about 100 years ago or maybe? A little uh, uh, more than that. Bruno Bauer became notorious in the 1840s. What a lot of people don't know is one of his best pal until they had a falling out was Karl Marx. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> and if you've ever wondered where did where did the Marxists get this weird idea that Jesus didn't exist, that uh, some guy named John in exile on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean hallucinated and had a vision. And, of course, that's where the book of Revelation comes from, right? (laughs) And then some guy who's utterly deluded named Paul reads this strange apocalyptic vision, and he invents Jesus. If you think that's the goofiest idea in the world, well, now you know where it came from. Bruno Bauer wrote several books, hundreds and hundreds of pages in the 1840s, 1850s, inventing this extraordinary idea that Jesus didn't exist and the the whole origins of christianity is a hoax and his pal his drinking buddy they used to get drunk and ride around on donkeys through the streets of berlin Uh, his pal karl marx made that part of communist doctrine so that's where that goofy idea comes from his name again is bruno Bauer, B-A-U-E-R, and absolutely nobody who's a scholar, who is informed, who is a historian, believes him. But that goofy idea still is out and about in some circles. And just to stay on this theme of Mythbusters, friends, and again, we have Dr. Craig Evans joining us in studio today across Faith Radio Network. Bruno Bauer also didn't say, he didn't just stop at Jesus of Nazareth. He said that Pilate never existed. So, Dr. Evans, talk to us about the Pilatos inscription discovered in 1961, Caesarea. Um, Talk to us about how just in that discovery alone, uh, Professor Bauer is discredited. Yeah, that's right. Um, Bauer did have some followers right on into the 20th century. 
Uh, and there were still some people in Europe and in North American Britain entertaining this silly idea that there was no Jesus. And, of course, the Gospels tell us that Jesus was sent to the cross by a Roman governor named Pilate. And they argued there was no Pilate. There never was anybody named Pilate. That the historian Tacitus, who says there was, is just misled by Christians. And Josephus, while that passage where he talks about Pilate can't be trusted and so on. Well, guess what? We found a limestone slab at Caesarea Maritima. That's in Israel near the Mediterranean Sea. It used to be where Herod had his favorite palace, where the Roman governors, in fact, after the time of Herod, resided. And on this stone slab, it says, uh, in reference to the city of Caesarea, the governor is Pontius Pilatus Prefectus Judea. Mm. That is Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea, inscribed in stone, found in 1961. By the way, we now have a ring that has Pilate's name on it, a brass ring, also found in the 60s, but only identified when it was cleaned last year. So the proof now, and of course we have Jesus' name inscribed too. (laughs) So archaeology, you know, archaeology is just plain mean and nasty when it comes to bad ideas. (laughs) That's exactly right. Uh, I want to continue on this theme of Mythbusters in this first segment. Uh, John Dominic Crossan um, wrote wrote a book where he discuss the fact that Jesus probably was not buried and may, his body was left out on the cross and was likely eaten by dogs. Now, Professor Evans, when I say this in a normal church, people are horrified to hear that there is a biblical scholar um, out there who claims that Jesus was not buried and his body was eaten by dogs. What does the archaeology tell us about Professor Crossan's statements? Uh, Archaeology says that that's just plain wrong. And it isn't just Christians and churches who are horrified. Jews and synagogues are horrified. And here's why. Burial was considered hugely important, and the Romans knew that. And during peacetime in Israel, which in the 20s and 30s of the first century it was peacetime, no one, not Jesus, not the two men crucified with him, nobody would be left unburied, whether they were crucified, beheaded, strangled, or what. Nobody would be have their body left unburied in public. Why? Not out of pity for the executed person or out of pity for his family and friends. It was the Jewish commitment for the the sacredness of the land. The land was not to be defiled. And Rome had no problem with that. If the malefactor was put to death, Rome's done. Who cares? And if the Jewish people want to bury that person, let them. And so the Jewish people, what they did, if you were a criminal and you got yourself executed, your body had to be placed in a tomb reserved for the dishonorable. And so the Sanhedrin had tombs set aside, Jewish sources tell us, had tombs set aside for people who were put to death. One year later, when the flesh has wasted away, like we talked about in last week's program, the bones can be gathered up and put in a box taken back to your family tomb. And I think that's just what the family of Jesus expected to do 
when their beloved teacher was put to death by Pontius Pilate. And just a bit of a recap. We've got to go to a break in about two minutes. We're talking about the science of biblical archaeology. And for anyone who missed last week's great broadcast where we really discussed in detail, Dr. Evans, why biblical archaeology is important. Give us two minutes on why archaeology is so important as it relates to understanding the context and the wider world of the Bible. Well, that's what archaeology does. It helps us understand the meaning of the words in the Bible. And so it's there. I've heard it said there are really five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Israel. Israel is the fifth wow. gospel. You go to Israel, you see the land, you visit the archaeological sites, the dig sites, you go to the museum, you see what's been found, and then you go, aha, I now understand the gospels better. Wow. Um, you have a great book that was just recently uh, published in, uh, just a couple of years ago called Jesus and His World by Westminster John Knox Press. Um, what do we need to know about Jesus and His World? This is a great book, by the way, friends. Uh, all of your books are just outstanding, Dr. Evans, but this one especially because it really does exactly what the title says. It helps us understand Jesus and His World, the archaeological evidence. Can you expound on that? this book for a moment? I can. I talk about synagogues. A lot of people don't know what synagogues are or they have in mind a modern church they don't realize the ancient synagogue was not laid out that way with several rows looking forward. It was just a different layout, a different function, how a synagogue worked in the community. Uh, I talk about literacy, how people wrote down scripture, wrote down things, leather scrolls, papyrus, and so on. How many people could read anyway? Uh, and that kind of thing. Education. I talk about burial, of course, which is very important. I talk about roads, travel, commerce. A lot of people think it took forever to go from one end of the country to the other. They'd be very surprised how quickly people traveled, mm. how fast these little boats would cross the Mediterranean. I talk about how somebody could write a letter in Alexandria, Egypt, and four or five days later it's being read in Rome. And a week later, you got an answer. In other words, the mail back then moved about as fast as the mail moves today. <laughs> and so uh, that, that's what the book does. And it's not real technical. It's not way over your head. You don't need to know Hebrew to read it and understand it. Wow. Uh, friends, we've got to go to our first break. We're talking about myth busters as it relates to biblical archaeology uh, with a titan of biblical scholarship, Professor Craig Evans. Uh, wow. You've got to get this book, Jesus and His World, The Archaeological Evidence, published by Westminster John Knox Press. I have two copies. It's fantastic. Uh, when we come back, though, uh, Dr. Evans, I want you to stay on this theme of myth busters as it relates to New Testament scholarship because we hear so much, uh, and then it causes some Christians immediate concern. Um, and then I also want to talk to you about some of the great fragments of the New Testament that have been discovered, where we can see them. Did you know my guest today had a movie uh, that was released in hundreds of theaters? We're going to talk about Dr. Evans' movie, as well as an exciting opportunity you have in the future to join him on one of his trips to Israel, the fifth gospel. Stay with us. This is the Jeremiah Johnson Show. Welcome back to the program. I'm joined by Dr. Craig Evans. We're talking about myth busters of biblical scholarship. What about uh, the historical David and Solomon? Because when you go back uh, in time, certain commentaries seem to call into suspicion if David and Solomon really existed. What is biblical archaeology? How does archaeology help us answer that question? Well, archaeology helps a lot. Uh, there's this movement, I don't know what else to call it, theory, ideology, something called minimalism. 
Now, it, of course, it's a bad idea. It's a bad theory, and archaeology has not been good to it. Uh, they, they were arguing 30 years ago, for example, there was no King David. That's just a myth. There was no Saul. There was no David. There was no Solomon. This is just sort of a made-up story. It's like talking about King Arthur or Robin Hood or something like that. And then what happened in the early 1990s, here's an inscription found in the north part of Israel at Dan, Tel Dan, where they're digging. And what do they find? A Syrian from ancient kingdom of Syria, a Syrian inscription that refers to the house of David. Mm-hmm. Well, David's a real guy. And even an enemy kingdom like Syria knows that and refers to him. Of course, some skeptics said, oh, maybe that isn't what it means. Maybe we're not understanding it. Maybe it's a fake. And more discoveries were made to show that, no, it is a genuine inscription, and that is what it means. Well, maybe there wasn't really a kingdom. Maybe David was just a tribal chieftain with a small village in Jerusalem. But what have we found? A huge government complex of buildings dating to the time of David. Hmm. It's being excavated as I speak by... uh, Eilat Mazar, granddaughter of the great archaeologist Benjamin Mazar. What else has been, well, some said, oh, well, maybe nobody was around back then to write it. Who could write, in, you know, 3,000, uh, uh, who could write um, 3,000 years ago? Well, we have found a piece of pottery called an ostracon with mm. seven or eight lines of Paleo-Hebrew text and we're not sure that the jury is still out. We're interpreting it, but it appears to be an announcement that to meet the needs of widows and orphans and others who can't defend themselves, a king needs to be appointed. That is probably a reference to the appointment of King Saul, mm. who preceded David. So archaeology just keeps coming to light. I could give you more examples of that in the Old Testament that embarrass, contradict, and correct these lousy interpretations that some scholars throw out. And this is why I think Christians need to go to the land of Israel. In last week's program, I referenced my first trip to the land of Israel just as a pilgrim, as a Christian, not teaching. I'm there to learn. And I remember going to Tel Dan and the House of David uh, fragments that were discovered that right there in the northern Israel, I mean, you're right there near Syria, northern Israel, Tel Dan. It's a beautiful area of trails. There's waterfalls. And right there you learn about the House of David inscription that was found on the fragments. And these are things that you really can only pick up. I mean, yes, and programs like this are helpful, but it, you really learn it when you go to the land of Israel. Why is it important for Christians to go to the land of Israel, Dr. Evans, be involved in these live archaeological sites if they can even volunteer. I think it's great because it builds faith. You realize this is where it happened. And so the story about Jesus or the story about the Old Testament prophets or King David or whatever we're talking about, it isn't just air. It isn't just theory. It isn't just words on a printed page. It suddenly becomes real. You're walking on the same ground. Mm. You're walking to the top of the same mountain. You're looking at the same valley. You're crossing the same body of water, the Sea of Galilee. It's where it happened. And, of course, as we've said uh, already and, and last week as well, when you see the land of Israel and you discover what archaeology has uncovered, you then understand the biblical text so much better. And in understanding the biblical text better, you understand your own faith 
a whole lot better. You understand yourself better. So that's the experience, by the way, for everybody when they go to Israel, when they go to the places in Turkey and the Mediterranean Sea and Greece and Italy, the places where the Apostle Paul went, where the early church expanded, they always come away with a deeper sense of their own faith, a greater assurance that it's true. And it's important. Mm. Dr. Evans, you have a trip. You have two trips. You have two opportunities uh, to go to the land of Israel. And I believe that one is completely already at capacity. But there's another opportunity, the 28th of September through the 12th of October this year. And you're going with a group called Living Passages. But you're leading the trip. And, friends, I want to encourage you. I want to invite you. Go to the land of Israel with Dr. Craig Evans. Tell us about the trip. But before you tell us about the trip, I have to ask you to answer this question because, honestly, this is probably my number one question that I receive from people when I encourage people to go to the land of Israel. And, friends, you know, if you listen to this program, uh, I don't often encourage you to do something with this level of specific enthusiasm. Uh, I have been in the land of Israel with Craig Evans. It's the best. Um, But I have so many well-meaning Christians, they're afraid to go to the land of Israel. They wonder if it's dangerous. They wonder if they're going to come home. Um, And, again, this is why we shouldn't allow the media, the biased media, to educate us. So, first, is it safe, Dr. Evans, and keep in mind there are many well-fine Christians that truly, truly text me this. Is it safe to go to the land of Israel? Then tell us about your trip and invite our audience to go along. Uh, It is safe to go to Israel. I've been to Israel at least 25 times. I've lost count. You can uh, you can just wander around in Jerusalem. You're safe. I'm much safer in Jerusalem. I'm much safer anywhere in Israel than I would be wandering around in Houston, where I live, or (laughs) or in Los Angeles or New York. And I think you get the point. Israel's a safe place. And, of course, with these guided tours, if for some reason there was any place where there was the least risk involved, we simply don't go there. So we're with uh, trained guides uh, who know what they're doing. Uh, You're not at any risk at all. You're in an air-conditioned bus. Uh, it's all very secure. So, yeah, happy to tell you about the, uh, the tour. I'm holding our itinerary right in front of me. This is for tour number two. Tour number one is pretty well all full up. But there are some spots open in tour number two. We depart from New York on, on September 28th. We arrive, we fly through the night, we arrive the morning of the 29th in Tel Aviv, and we are there. We get on a bus and we head to Galilee. We go to Magdala, where Mary of Magdalene was from. We go to Chorazin, Capernaum. We're on the Mount of Beatitudes, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. We get on the Sea of Galilee in what's called the Jesus Boat. We visit some synagogues. We go up into the Golan Heights. We go to Caesarea Maritima on the Mediterranean. And, of course, we end up in Jerusalem for a couple of days. We see the city of David, where David once was and ruled over the kingdom. We go into Hezekiah's Tunnel. I've been in it. It's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. You want to be prepared to get wet. The water will be right up to your knees. (laughs) We have a blast. We go. also will see the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Shrine of the Book will uh, get on a bus, go to the where the, the caves are, where we found the scrolls 50, 60 years ago. And when we're done seeing Israel, we get on the boat and we cruise for a week in the Mediterranean. We stop at the islands of Crete 
and Malta. Malta, where Paul was shipwrecked at the end of the book of Acts. We end up in Rome, where Paul ended up also at Acts chapter 28. You'll have a chance to stay a couple of days longer if you want on the 11th and 12th of October. And you can see uh, Pompeii, Herculaneum, buried by Mount Vesuvius when it erupted in 79. You'll be with me. You'll have a chance to meet a real live archaeologist in Israel. And by the way, special, when you're with me in Israel, Jerry Jenkins, Mm. the all-time best-selling author, left behind an author and seller of something like 70 million copies. (laughs) That's a few more than I've done. He will be with us, and Jerry and I will do some Q&A. We'll be talking about my own new series, Archaeology Thriller, and Jerry will will be sharing with everyone secrets of writing. By the way, did you know he was personally acquainted with Billy Graham mm-hmm. and helped Billy Graham write his autobiography? So I don't know of any other tour that offers those many spots, a week of cruising no. in the Mediterranean, a chance to be with a real live archaeologist, Eli Shukron, and a chance to meet and have autographs from none other than Jerry Jenkins. I think that's a pretty good tour. So you can come. I mean, the phone number, if you want to dial it, is 888-771-8717. It's livingpassages.com. You've got to go, friends. If you've not been to the Holy Lands, definitely this is a trip for you. So I hope that you can make the effort to check out this information. Thank you, Dr. Evans, for talking about why the Holy Land is safe, why we should study the fifth gospel, which is the land of Israel. And in my opinion, there's no one better to go to go with than you, Professor Evans, because the kind of dialogue that we're having on this program, uh, you just get the time to really dig deep at these sites, get your hands dirty, uh, walk where Jesus walked. It will change your life, friends. It will change your spiritual life. So, Dr. Evans, we've talked about some very important discoveries in biblical archaeology. We've talked about the Tildan inscription. We've talked about uh, the Pilatus Stone. We've discussed, um, <laughs> last week we discussed some really fun archaeological discoveries, the Yehohanan uh, nailbone crucifixion victim. I want to keep going through some other very important um, artifacts that you can go see even on this trip, like, for example, the Jesus boat. Talk to us about the Jesus boat, if you would, or as it's known today as the Jesus boat. Oh, that was amazing. 35 years ago, in fact, almost exactly, two brothers are walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee on the western side. The water level was at a historic low. There had been a drought. And they see some things poking up out of the water, the mud. And they realized, hey, it's, it's the, an outline of a boat. They reported it. People came and looked. And sure enough, it was an ancient boat. It's been dated to at least 2,000 years old. And you can't believe how much trouble it was. A waterlogged boat, a miracle that it still survived. The uh, wood was like wet cardboard. Well, through ingenuity, they managed to lift the boat up without destroying it. They transported it to a lab, and now it's a museum, and you can go see it. Now, here's the kicker. I can remember when I was in seminary, that was years before that boat was found, somebody saying, could you get Jesus and the 12 disciples together in one boat, these little fishing boats, surely they were too small. Well, nobody really knew. We had pictures of boats, but they they looked kind of small. Well, they found this boat, got it out of the mud, dried it out, 
put paraffin in it to replace the water. It's now well-preserved. It's beautiful, the job they did. Do you know how many people it can seat? Six on each side and one at the stern. <laughs> Thirteen. Isn't that amazing? And that, that boat would have no trouble. And by the way, we have no reason to think that Jesus and his disciples were in that boat. That boat actually is a little older than Jesus' ministry. It probably had already been abandoned at the shoreline by the time of Jesus' ministry. Wow. So there's another myth buster for you. Jesus and his disciples can't fit in a fishing boat. Well, archaeology tells us otherwise. Um, Talk to us a moment, uh, John 9, the Pool of Siloam. Um, You can go here in Jerusalem. Talk to us about its significance, and we only have about two minutes before the next break. Well, the Pool of Siloam, we didn't really know where it was. There's a a Crusader-era Pool of Siloam, but Archaeologists suspected it wasn't the right spot. Well, about 15 years ago, the real one was found. Oh, and by the way, I know you didn't know this, Dr. Johnston. You weren't just setting me up, (laughs) but you did. You know who found the Pool of Siloam 15 years ago? Eli Shukron, the archaeologist who will be with me in Israel. (laughs) Hey, this guy is a rock star, so to speak, when it comes to archaeology. Yeah, so we actually have the real Pool of Siloam now. You can visit it. You can see it. And uh, it's very impressive. There are so many other places we can go, friends, to biblical archaeology that just simply help us understand the Bible better. If you're enjoying this program, let me encourage you to connect with our guest, Dr. Craig Evans, on Twitter at at Dr. Craig A. Evans on Twitter. Go to his web, website, craigaevans.com. When we return, though, I want to discuss a, a very important corollary of biblical archaeology, and that's when we discover text of the Bible. Archaeology helps us understand the context of the Bible. The artifacts themselves are truly historical artifacts when you think about them, these biblical manuscripts, these fragments that we've discovered. Uh, Stay with us. We're going to be back in 90 seconds talking about some important discoveries of Bible artifacts. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnson Show. My guest today in studio is Professor Craig Evans. We've been doing myth busters of biblical scholarship. <laughs> We've had a lot of fun on this program. Well, thank you so much for subscribing to this show and leaving us those reviews. This is definitely a program you're going to want to listen to again. Uh, in our last program, we discussed the James Ossuary. That's a big one. So if you missed that one as it relates to New Testament uh, biblical archaeology, you're definitely going to want to check that out. Uh, Dr. Evans, I want to talk for a moment about the science of biblical artifacts that are discovered, how they're treated, how we date them, and let's just use P-52 for an example. Now, I know you've had a movie where you went around, a literal movie in theaters that you did with Fathom Events, um, Fragments of Truth. If you haven't seen it, it's phenomenal. Again, the name of the movie featuring Dr. Craig Evans, our guest today in studio, is called Fragments of Truth. Uh, You went around the world and did a documentary where you had special access and privileges in these historical libraries where you were able to actually photograph and inspect, examine these biblical artifacts. Just generally, what was that like for our audience? But number two, let's talk about P-52. It's discovered. It comes in the Rylands collection in Manchester in the 1920s, and yet they really don't know what they have until the 1930s. How is it dated? Uh, Take us through... Okay, I've discovered something. 
uh, to when it's finally published and known around the world. What is this like? But start first, what was it like filming Fragments of Truth? You know, that was a great adventure. Uh, we went to some uh, just fantastic cities. We went to Dublin in Ireland where we have what's called P45. P stands for papyrus. Papyrus number 45 dates around 220 to 250 A.D. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts, substantial portions of those five books. We went to Manchester in northern England, where P52 is the oldest fragment that we have, Gospel of John, chapter 18. We then went in a rented van, we drove south, we went to Cambridge and Oxford. We saw some very old texts at Oxford where you did your PhD, Jeremiah, as I know you know well. There's P64 mm-hmm. at Magdalen College. It's three small fragments of Matthew chapter 26. I got to hold those in my hand. We then got on a plane and we flew to Geneva where P66, the oldest and largest copy of the Gospel of John dates at about 190 or 200 A.D., P66. <clears throat> we then got on the plane and flew south. We went to Rome where we got to see P75, which is fragments of Luke and John, and, of course, Codex Vaticanus, this old mm. codex. And so wow. that's just some of the stuff we saw. Those were the cities. Uh, we did a lot of filming. We interviewed the top Papyrologists, codicologists, and textual critics of the world. David Parker, Larry Hurtado, Simon Gathercall, uh, Peter Williams at Cambridge, and others. It was just astonishing to meet these top people. And you know what the bottom line was? We went through the whole thing. I know you've heard stuff. You, you people listening to the program, oh, there are mistakes, or who knows what the text originally said. That's baloney. Mm. We talked to the experts, and they all said the same thing. We know what the original text says. We have it. Because we have these real old copies, we can study them, we can compare them. Sure, scribes make mistakes sometimes, but we can identify the mistakes, and we know how it originally read. So you should have total confidence in the text of the Bible. Hmm. That was the big takeaway from our time uh, in, in making this film. And as it relates then to, let's take P52 for an exa- for, as an example, uh, it comes into the collection. Usually these documents are sometimes, these fragments are just gifted to a college. A college really doesn't know what it has. I mean, Dr. Evans, you and I were with Dirk Obink in the Griffith Papyrology Lab, and he showed us what equated to a little bit nicer than shoeboxes full of hundreds of fragments, at least a half million that have still not been categorized, published. Um, so talk, talk to our audience, just discuss the science of, and we have a book, by the way, coming out later this year called Scribes and Their Remains, where we talk about everything from ancient literacies to, uh, to understanding simply the care of these biblical fragments. But just discuss the science of it and the process of it, if you will, of discovery of a biblical fragment, because this is really an offshoot of what we've been discussing as it relates to biblical archaeology. Well, a lot of people don't know it, but uh, almost all, just about every single papyrus fragment that's been discovered comes from Egypt because the climate there is perfect for it. It's dry. It's warm. And so Oxyrhynchus, which you already alluded to, one city 
uh, in Egypt. It's all but abandoned today in its ancient trash mounds covered with sand, half a million pages, half a million leaves of Greek text recovered. And as you said a moment ago, only about 10% of it's published, so several hundred thousand to go. And I'll always remember being in the Griffith lab with you these look like Tupperware boxes filled with papyri, one after another. I asked Dirk Obink, when will you get this job finished? He looked at me like, you know, I had three eyes. And he said, what? It'll be hundreds of years. And so the job is enormous. What scholars do, they look, it's called paleography. They look at the handwriting. Mm-hmm. They compare it to known dated examples. And this lets them know when the text was written, so we can determine how old. Is it 2nd century? Is it 3rd century? <clears throat> the New Testament was written in the 1st, so it's important to know that. So how much time is it between the originals and the copy we have found? And then, of course, they study word for word, letter for letter, to see how closely it corresponds with the original. That's all part of the science of it. And, of course, preserving it, caring for it so it won't decompose photographing it now we're in the digital age which is a huge help so you can go online and see beautiful high resolution color photographs so it's not mysterious at all you can find out you can see for yourself what these fragments look like and you can see Mm -hmm. that it's not a myth it's not a story the biblical texts are preserved and scholars have them and can study them I want to talk uh, before we have to finish out this program about the Nazareth decree as well, because I think that's important for helping us understand um, Matthew's gospel specifically. And his disciples came to him discussing that they stole him. His body might have been stolen away. What does the Nazareth decree have to tell us as it relates to biblical archaeology and, again, interpreting the text? Yeah, you know, in the gospel of Matthew, and, and Matthew's the only gospel that has concern with this, the, uh, the ruling priests are worried the disciples might steal the body of Jesus, and so they want a guard. And Pilate says, okay, you have a guard. And uh, then what was discovered about 80 years ago in Israel was this uh, uh, stone slab that is a decree, as you described. It's called Nazareth Decree, simply because that's where it was found. We don't think that's where it originated. Mm -hmm. And it's a decree of Caesar where he says, you don't steal bodies from tombs. You don't move them. You don't violate the tomb. If you do, it's a capital offense, and charges will be pressed against anyone who does that. And so what that tells us is you don't fool around. The idea that a skeptic says is, oh, well, nobody was looking. The disciples of Jesus sneaked over to the tomb of Jesus and took his body away put it somewhere else, started telling lies about the resurrection. That's absurd. That's a serious crime. And uh, to to tamper with the tomb was to invite prosecution. And it was truly, in the Roman mindset, a capital offense to tamper with the tomb, and which, again, sheds light on the interpretation, especially in 
the Mathean stream of the crucifixion and the entire really juridical procedure. So powerful. Okay, Dr. Evans, again, going so fast, but we have a question that was emailed in. What are some great resources? We discussed last week Jesus and the Ossuaries, your book, Understanding Jewish Burial Practices and What They Reveal About the Beginning of Christianity. Number two, we have this excellent book, Jesus and His World, The Archaeological Evidence for Really Understanding the Historicity of Jesus of Nazareth. What are some other resources that you've written uh, or that you would recommend that every Christian should have on their library? Well, you know, if you don't mind me recommending a book I did uh, just three, four years ago, it was with Worthy. It's called God Speaks, What He Says, What He Means. And, you know, what I like about it, it's, it's, it's a basic introduction, but it covers a lot of ground. It talks about the literature that's in the Bible. People don't realize the Bible is a library with different kinds of books in it. Mm-hmm. They don't know how it's to be interpreted. They And, of course, there's a little bit of archaeology in that book also, a little bit of history. And so I explain what the Bible is, how to understand it. I even talk a little bit about science and mm. the book of Genesis. Mm. And so it's a book that I think works well for either a beginner who knows very little about the Bible and wants to know more. But it also works well for the skeptic who's under this false impression that the Bible's an old-fashioned book, it's irrelevant, has nothing to say to us today. So it's called God Speaks, What He Says, What He Means, and it's by worthy publishers. So, friends, God Speaks. Jesus and the Ossuaries, Jesus and his world, the archaeological evidence. You've emailed me at AskJJJ asking for resources that we recommend. Uh, I can't recommend these enough, but let me also recommend the book that Craig and I did called uh, Jesus and the Jihadis. Um, where we really did a deep dive comparing Christianity with Islam. Now, friends, there are Islamic thinkers who claim that the Jewish temple never existed. I would encourage you to just simply Google a Fox News op-ed that Professor Evans and I wrote answering something that was actually, uh, believe it or not, you probably do believe it, carried in the New York Times, an op-ed, that we should call into question whether the Jewish temple actually existed. Uh, written by an Islamic thinker. Friends, again, that would just be fake history. Uh, That's not just fake news. That's fake history. I would encourage you to read that. Uh, But Dr. Evans and I wrote this excellent book that in three hours of reading, you're going to understand more about how to reach a Muslim for Jesus Christ, excuse me, after three hours of reading, than most Muslims know about their own faith because many Muslims never read the Quran. So we do a, a careful analysis comparing the biblical text with the Quran. We compare the sayings of Jesus with the sayings of Muhammad, and we even look into the archaeological evidence. So I want to encourage you with these excellent resources. Dr. Evans, this has been a powerful uh, two-part episode uh, that we have recorded in studio here in Houston, Texas. Thank, will you come back again? You're one of our favorite guests here on the Jeremiah johnson show thank you so much for spending time with us in these shows yeah you're very welcome so friends don't forget check out dr evan's upcoming trip to the land of israel connect with him on twitter and social media i'm going to be back with some final thoughts on the other end of this break you're listening to the jeremiah johnson show Welcome back to the program. This is Jeremiah. We're going to land the plane on this two-part series on archaeology, the science of biblical archaeology, as it relates to 
everything from interpreting the Bible text correctly to understanding the reliability of the scriptures. This has been a fantastic two-part study uh, that we've done with our good friend Craig Evans. I'm so delightful for not one but two shows in a row where we have been able to do a deep dive and everything from being a myth buster, <laughs> busting the myths of people that say things that are completely unfactual and unfounded, and then only to see that they are completely discredited uh, by just simply the evidence of the science of biblical archaeology and these excellent studies, uh, excuse me, discoveries from the material culture. Uh, and friends, uh, there's a few final thoughts that I want to share with you. Um, as Craig Evans mentioned in our previous segment, he was we were talking about... Uh, these excellent artifacts of the oldest papyrus fragments that we have of the New Testament. And I want to give a personal illustration. Uh, when I was matriculating in Oxford, just before I became a Ph.D. candidate, when I was working on my doctorate, um, I realized that P64, and Craig mentioned this, so if you didn't hear this part, you can just rewind back if you're listening to the podcast later on. Um, but P64 is actually called the Maudlin Papyrus. Now, notice I'm pronouncing it the Maudlin Papyrus. It actually looks like Magdalene, but that's how Americans pronounce it. You have to pronounce it like you're living in Oxford, the Maudlin Papyrus that Maudlin College has. Actually, that's where C.S. Lewis was on faculty for a while. Uh, It's the Gospel of Matthew in three very small, almost looks like scraps, if if you're looking from too far of a distance, but it's three fragments that's how we refer to it three papyrus fragments and these date to the late second early third century there was even one gospel scholar peter carcentita who thought that it was actually dated to ad 50 or 60 that it could be the earliest fragment of the new testament that's not a widely held opinion i go with the later date of late second early third century but it's called the jesus fragment um, because G- the name of Jesus shows up in this fragment, in these three little scraps. It comes from Matthew chapter 26, verses 23 and 31. Well, here's the story. So uh, I had just getting ready to matriculate in Oxford, and I found out that Maudlin College had this phenomenal fa- fragment called P64, Papyrus 64. And I called over to the college, and I asked for permission to come see the fragment. It was in the old library of the Maudlin Papyrus. The Maudlin Papyrus was actually located in the oldest part of the library. And I showed up there on just a beautifully sunny morning. I walked over to Maudlin College from where I lived in the city center of Oxford. I asked to see the fragment. And friends, for whatever reason, I was expecting this fragment to be on display, you know, behind glass, open to the public. I mean, this is one of the most... um, Uh, one of the most priceless fragments that we have of the New Testament. I mean, just think about that. This is the Jesus fragment, P64. I get to the college, and it's a very old, ornate library. It smells like an old library. And I was a little nervous. I'd never seen P64. I'd seen P52 and other fragments, so I didn't really even know where to look. And I just asked the curator of the library if I could please see P64. And she said, absolutely, I'll be right back. And she comes back, and she has this small little white box, And she opens the box, and then she pulls out this wedge, essentially. And inside the wedge is what looks like, if you ever collected baseball cards, it had this kind of uh, baseball card uh, holder feel to it. And inside were these three fragments of the New Testament. So there I am holding this wedge, this fragment that is inside what looks like a baseball card holder. And I'm just amazed at what I'm holding in my hand. I mean, one of the oldest fragments of the New Testament, P64, and I just started talking with a curator, and I said, wow, I said, 
you must be really busy showing this fragment to people who are interested in seeing ancient fragments of the New Testament. She said, well, no, actually, it's been collecting dust. You're the first one who's asked to see it in about a year. Now, can you imagine that? So for a year, this fragment had sat in this curator's office, and no one had asked to see it. So, friends, I share that with you. You don't necessarily even have to go all the way to the Holy Land to see the great historicity of the Bible and of your Christian faith. It's speckled throughout the world. And if any of you get to Oxford, you can you can actually make an appointment. You can go to the Maudlin College Library. You can make an appointment in advance. You can ask to see it. It doesn't cost any money to see it. And you can take even take photos with it. So, uh, friends, I want to encourage you to do this. Invest in your Christian faith. Invest in a deeper understanding. And think about it. We've done we've dedicated two complete shows to just talking about the archaeology, the evidence, the archaeological evidence of the Christian faith. And we are just scratching the surface. I mean, there are so many layers, literally, that we can discuss of how the Bible is corroborated with the material culture. And I want to say this as we close. We can't say that about other religions. So don't dare tell me that all religions are the same. Don't tell me all religions worship the same God. All religions don't have the same aims, and they don't have the same claims, and they certainly don't have the same archaeological evidence, extra-biblical evidence. So I want to leave you and just encourage you today to know the great evidence for your faith. Investigate your faith. Know that what you believe is true and it has a sure foundation. Friends, and then finally, spend time in the Word of God. That's really the point of it all, isn't it? We don't want to have just a bunch of information. We want to have wisdom. So I close with my challenge that I started with two weeks ago on this program. You've been given all kinds of information and insight. This is the program where we give you content and intent behind every show. Now it's up to you to apply this information and make it wisdom to your life. I pray you'll do that. Check out the podcast. Thanks so much for your reviews. Uh, Like us on Facebook. Continue to pray for our ministry, Christian Thinker Society. Thank you so much. And I can't wait for next week's broadcast. I'll see you again next time here on Faith Radio Network. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from The Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of The Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play, RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.